opportunity to share the gospel and share the love that God has uh, so freely given us. In fact, I forgot, I mean, this has to do with our benevolent fund. So we, uh, we had some caps designed, they're Game Guard, and they have our logo. You can see the logo on the bulletin, you can't see it from here. But if, you, if you'd like a cap, they're really good caps, Zion Church Curtain. Uh, all we want you to do is make a donation to the Benevolent Fund, just whatever. And I've got them in my office, so if you want a cap, it's just in time for hunting season. We have them for you, and we'd love for you to have them. And, and it's just a way for us to, we've got money in our benevolent account. We're not suffering there, but this church is so benevolent and uh, meets so many financial needs. I will tell you, I know, and I could be wrong, but I'm fairly confident in this number. Last year, uh, over $19,000 this church uh, it's pretty significant for a church this size to where we contributed and we were able to meet the needs of uh, benevolent needs of so many people in this community and, and beyond the community too. So uh, anyway, there you are. If you're interested, see me after church. It's, uh, it is good to be here. Uh, the psalmist wrote uh, in the 122nd Psalm, he said, I was glad, I was glad when we went to the house of the Lord uh, to praise God. He said, I was glad. So it's good to be here. Our scripture reading and prayer, where are you? There they are. Yeah, they're coming forward, Summer and Haley Dubeck. So stand for our scripture reading and our prayer uh, this morning. And Haley's being a brave soul. Hold on. Okay, we're going to start today in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live with them for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Now we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Dear, dear, dear Lord, thank you for this day. And thank you for all these people here to listen to your word. And be with those people who could not make it and are sick. And open up our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Haley. Our text this morning is going to be in Philippians, the third chapter. So open your Bibles, the third chapter of Philippians. Um, we're going to divert back to Isaiah. Uh, the last two sermons that I preached, although they weren't in Isaiah, they lay a foundation for the seventh chapter uh, in Isaiah. And Blaine, I do want to know, how are you going to pull that what, a, a mouse, a pet mouse, I believe is that? Yeah. You got plenty of them? Yeah. I bet you do. Amen. Leave them in the barn. Amen. So, um, in Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, uh, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you, a safeguard for you. 
Uh, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Uh, beware of the false circumcision. For we're the true circumcisions. Um, the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and, and put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, although I, and if you start, if you were just reading this passage, if you were just to highlight all the times that Paul uses a personal pronoun, I, me, my, there's a lesson in that. So uh, he says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, the word of God, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, the word of God, found blameless. That's his resume. It's his personal testimony, who he used to be. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost. For the sake of Christ. The NIV may say uh, something different. In, uh, if you have a different version, uh, the verse 7, the statement, I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, is the correct Greek translation, that term, for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, uh, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the Bible, derived from the word of God, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God in the basis or on the basis of faith. Now, now listen to this. There, there's a, there's a, a foundational not just instruction, I'd almost say re formula a recipe for a life that is committed to living for the sake of Christ. You know, we might say that, say, well, I want to live for the sake of Christ. Okay? Well, it's a nice thought, and it's a good goal, and it's a, you know, a strong statement. But then Paul does something. He gives the, the how, how do you achieve that? How do you get from the talking part to the actual functionary doing part. And it's in this verse. He says, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So if I ask you this morning, if I said, okay, you are a Christian, you proclaim that you're a Christian, you say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And uh, you would, then I think all of us would say that. In his use of personal uh, pro pronouns, he says, I live for the sake of Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ. And if I bet if we polled every one of you here this morning, you would all say the same thing. I, I want my life, I live it for the sake of Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to be found in Christ. We would say that. And then if we had the time to really get personal, meditate on it, reflect on it, you might say, all those things are true in my life, but there's another truth. I find that difficult. I find that difficult. I find it difficult to, uh, yes, I want to live for the sake of Christ. Yes, all these things, I want to gain Christ. Yes, I want to be found in Christ. Yes, I want to know Christ. 
every one of us, I believe, would say that's what we want. But I think also upon reflection, we would say, you know, that's very difficult. I try. But just living, sometimes I even forget. <laughs> Do you ever forget you're a Christian? Do you ever just forget? I mean, maybe not willfully or knowingly. You just, man, I, oh, I forgot. I forgot I'm a Christian. I wasn't even thinking about being Christian in that moment. You ever do that? Because I do. You know, something happens, an event, a moment, a conversation, a circumstance, and I, and I step, ooh, man. <laughs> I forgot that I was a Christian, that I am a Christian. So, real quickly, so this term, for the sake of Christ. If I ask you to tell me, because we all live our lives for the sake of something. We all do. Every one of us. You can't escape that truth. Each and every one of us live for the sake of something. What would the people around you, those that are closest, what would they say to you? Or how would they say? Or what would they say about you? Well, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so live their life for the sake of, what would they say? And I have this in the Bible study the last several weeks. With, we have a Bible study over at MyCon. We have one at JMF. Um, and so I, we've actually been in this, uh, this portion of the scripture. And we've talked about that. And I really appreciate the honesty of the, the men. Uh, I think this is a hard truth. But I think most of us, if we were completely honest, you know, folks might look at us and say, well, eh, if we could be this honest. And so, well, oh, oh, so-and-so lives their life for the sake of themselves. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty of our men. Uh, we, uh, Philip Mundine is in that. Brian Geck, uh, Rick Dubeck, uh, Mark Stasny, Don Vesey's coming. I know I'm leaving some guys out. Um, but I really appreciate when we talked about that. Who do you live your life for the sake of, you know, Paul says, I just count everything. There's nothing in my life that has the value of living for the sake of Christ. Nothing at all. No matter who I was in the past, no matter what I could say about myself, you could do it. You could say, I could say I was born in 1959 in San Antonio, Texas, uh, and then I could just fill in the blanks. And uh, this is what I valued. This is how I lived. This is what I was important to me. Wouldn't nearly be as impressive as Paul's resume. Born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. As to the word of God without flaw. I mean, I could never say that. This is who he was before he knew Christ. This is what he would say in a personal pronoun about himself. I, me, my, I. But we could all do it. I'm a graduate of Texas A&M University. I'm a business owner. I'm a rancher. I'm whatever. I'm a father, a husband, a grandfather. All the little things that we'd say, I, me, my, about. And then they reveal for us what we then live our life for the sake of. I live my life for the sake of my retirement account. I live my life for the sake of my uh, physical and emotional and, you know, something well-being. I live my life for the sake of whatever. My family, my wife, my children. That seems noble. We had a passage of Scripture read several weeks ago in Luke 14. And Jesus is very graphic. He said, unless you hate. Because we all would say, well, I live my life for the sake of my family. Well, that seems honorable. And Jesus says, unless you hate your husband, your wife, your children. You can't be a part of my kingdom. But there's even things that we would say that I live my life for the sake of. Now, he doesn't obviously want you to hate your family. But in that context, in that setting, if, that is, if it's something else and then Christ, 
Not, not only, so something else that's noble and honorable and then Christ, it's not good. If you can put it on the same plan, well, I live my life for, you know, this is noble, my wife, my children, and Christ, he has no use for it. It's Christ first. Christ first. And so, if I ask you, what do you, who do you, you live your life for the sake of, if we could be honest, and maybe we couldn't, but I tell you who can be, the people around us. Your children can tell someone else who you live your life for the sake of. And this is, this is a moment, this is a crossroads moment in the life of Paul. He has a huge, strong, loving, spiritual investment in the Christians in Philippi. He loved these people. You read about his ministry and mission trips there in the book of Acts. He had, an, he had a spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual investment in the people of Philippi. And he's in prison. He's a prisoner in, in, of the Roman government and been conspired against by his own people. And so he writes this as a prisoner. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians as a prisoner. And he's writing to the Philippians. He's got word. There's a concern. He writes them. And then he's telling them, this is it. This is Genesis through Malachi. There was no revelation in. But this was the totality of the word of God that he knew what a person was supposed to live their life on the basis of the things that were gain and value and important and for the sake of. So my challenge, we come to church on Sunday. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. We sing these amazing hymns. We have an opportunity to be benevolent and, and in mission work. Is that, is that part-time? Is it inclusive to something else? Is it on the same level as something else? Is it an annoyance? Is it a, well, I should do it? Is it, or is it for the sake of? Because Christ wants nothing less than that, and he deserves nothing less than that. My final week of ministry at Abilene Christian University, they were doing an exit of those uh, individuals who had, uh, were going to get their degrees and go on and do ministry, the College of Biblical Studies, as a, as a pastor or a missionary in ministry. And in the closing uh, three hours that we had with a, in an exit interview with the head of the Bible department, they took us to this verse and they said, you should, you said, now, if you're going to work in the mission field, if you're going to work as a pastor, um, there's something that those that God has you working with and for, they should be able to answer this question emphatically, without exception, immediately. Pastor so-and-so lives their life for the sake of The church, that would not be good. It wouldn't. For personal gain, that would not be good. The only thing would be for the sake of Christ. 
for the sake of Christ. But now, does, so there's, there's that. There's ministry, pastors, missionaries. What about you? And so that's the starting point. So then he said, I, I, for the sake of Christ, and I count everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So here it is. The great thing about Scripture is this. Burke, you can't, in Genesis through Revelation, I say this to all of you, I just happen to see Burke. He sticks out like a light. I love him. But so you, in all the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, the entire Bible, when the Bible gives us a, 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 maybe a prophet, you know, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, when it gives you, a, when it makes a statement about something or it gives us instruction, then it always tells you how to. It never says, uh, go build a building and then it doesn't tell you how to. It never says anything. It never says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and then just, it, but it always tells you how. So it's not only the great instruction, command, goal, it's also the great instruction book. And sometimes a parent or a coach or a teacher or anybody in your life or mom and say, well, I want you to do that. Well, okay, well, how do I, well, they don't tell us how. We just think maybe something. Well, you can't say that about the Bible. So here's the challenge, and here's the beauty of this. So if you in your heart say, I want to live my life for the sake of Christ, I want to gain Christ, I want to know Christ, I want to be found in Christ, then in the writing of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God for reproof and rebuke and training of the individual in, 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 in a life of righteousness for God. So this is inspired by God. These verses are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, Paul would say, I'm going to tell you how it looks like. Not only am I going to tell you how it looks like, I'm going to give you the fundamental truths. So you might do the lip service. You may even have the goal. You may even say, you know, it's Sunday morning, it's easy. I'm living for the sake of Christ. I'm gaining, I'm knowing, I'm wanting, I want to be found. And then Monday morning comes around. And you got to go to work. Or the annoying in-laws come in. <laughs> I wasn't looking at the teamans. Uh, so, because they're not annoying. But uh, I just said that and saw you. I thought that's interesting. Anyway, so, or you just got to go face somebody at work you don't like. Or you're facing some turmoil in your life. And the stress of life, all of a sudden, now what I'm living for, the, I'm living for the sake of survival, man. I'm living for the sake of getting through the day. I'm living for the sake of, man, I got to make some money here. We got to accomplish this. I'm living for the sake of a deadline. And I have to, I'm trying to gain more money. And I'm trying, I have to be found at work. And, and I'm just trying to, uh, I know this. Boy, this is what I know. <laughs> but it all is separate and apart from gaining Christ for the sake of Christ, knowing Christ being found. And so then you hit those moments. And you say, oh man, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm not driving like a Christian. I'm not talking like a Christian. I'm not living, I'm not doing this business deal like a Christian. I'm not, I, how do I do that? I want to, how do I do it? This is fundamentally for me 
in understanding that, gaining that, knowing that, this is the single most foundational, truly. If, you, if this is your struggle and you want it, Paul gives you the instruction. And it's very simple. This is simple. The way he writes as a Roman citizen, as a Jew, understanding the Greek world, he uses a writing formula. He says, so he says all these things, and then he says in verse 10, this is the way, if you understand the way that they wrote, the Romans did, the Jews did, the Greeks would have understood it. So he makes these statements, and he gets to verse 10, and he says, that I may know him, and so it's and, now, the rest of it is the inclusive answer. What the Bible and histor history uh, writers of the linguists that understand historical writing, they would say, now, so here's the inclusive answer. Here's my desire. This is what I want. This is what's important to me. And so inclusively now, this is how it happens. Here's the math. So, and the power of his resurrection. So, real quick. So, Bible study this week. And you could, I wish I had a videotaped it. This last week. I, I asked, uh, let's see, uh, uh, let's see, Philip Mundine, Mark Stasny, Don. I don't think really, I, we were in the study said, so power. Tell me about power. Power. This is power. I remember being a young guy at Niagara Falls. And I, I was probably 10, 11 years old, my parents. And we went down into the elevator. I don't know, I just remember, I never, it, it was just the most empowered, those, the power of those falls was insane power. I know that we had several that went out to the fairgrounds last week and watched the tractor pulls. There's some power out there in them tractors. Our military, whatever it is. Power. He said, I don't want a righteousness of my own. I don't even want a righteousness that's found in the Bible. Because that's what the Pharisees, the Pharisees they had a righteousness. Oh, I know I'm right because I know the Bible. That's really good. You should know the Bible. And, and you know what the Bible should reveal to you about being right? <laughs> you and I are wrong. This is what it is. You can't ever be right until you come to the realization you're wrong. And we got Christians all over the world with a Bible in their hands pounding that thing, saying, I'm right, and I know I'm right, and you're wrong because of what the knowledge that I have in this word. And that is the most misappropriation. You're a misappropriation of funds. That is a misappropriation of the scripture. But we do it. He said, I want a righteousness that's found on the basis of faith in Christ. Now, what does this have to do with power? So, you take all these little kids in here. It happens real young. You take them as young as uh, the youngest here. So you know what we're really good at? You know what we become? We're automatic. They're the most automatic. We're born sinners, so there's that. But as we're born sinners, what do sinners have to do? They have to justify themselves. We're all expert attorneys. You don't believe that. I just three little beautiful girls. I met them, like Lila and Anastasia. And what's the, the one sleeping? The, yeah, just beautiful names. And you look at Adeline over here, you look at all these, Chevy, not a Ford, Parker, all of them. So, you know what we become? We're really good attorneys, aren't we? You just get a kid. I mean, a case, a kid knows how to defend themselves. 
Oh, but you said, no, that's not what I, but he did. Well, she did. Well, you're supposed to do that. We did, and it's natural as born sinners. We're just born lawyers. Maybe there's a coalition there. I don't know. If you're a lawyer, forgive me. But, uh, but so we just naturally, we can build our, I'm right. I'm right and you're wrong. Every struggle in a husband and a wife and a family and a friend and a place of work, I'm right and you're wrong. And even if I'm wrong, but you don't think that's happening in our political arena right now? Everybody building a case. And I have this law to support me in this. But what does that have to do with power? Power. Power. We all want power, don't we? To be right. To win our case. To get the things that I want. I asked these three men. I said, give me the most powerful thing you said. See, and Philip Mundine, no, uh, Don Visa said it was an atom, right? Atomic. He did like a, the power of an atom, the atomic bomb. He'd been out there and seen where they put, what was that place where they did the bottom of the atomic Trinity site? And uh, he said, this, this big, you've seen the pictures of the atom bomb testing. And there was a ranch house out there they've shown in movies. He said, but it's about a mile away. And really, they've, they've not, one broken. one broken window. But that's not the way. But the atom, the power of an atom, that's powerful, right? I mean, it's the, and then, you know what Philip Mundine said? This one, I wish I had a videotape. He said the tongue. Right there in the book of James, the tongue is so powerful. It's like the rudder of a ship. Boy, you don't think we have power in our tongue. And then Mark Stasny said, water. Well, you don't think there's power in water? Boy, maybe the most, you think about every canyon, go to all these dams, you see the power of water. You see how it can shape the land and overwhelm. We've seen the videos of these floods and tsunamis and water. Number one, what if you lived your life for the sake of Christ? You, I, I'm living for the sake of Christ. I want to gain him on, a, on the basis of only one thing. And it's the most powerful event in the history of all humanity. There will never be anything that even compares to it. What if every time you found yourself in a moment of weakness? What if every time you needed to power? What if every time you needed to be right? And it was power. I got to have power. I don't have enough power. I'm, I, there's not enough. And you just do it on the basis of one thing. It's the power of the resurrection. Power of the resurrection. Power of the resurrection. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? What is Mark doing there? What is the praise band and the choir doing here? What are you doing here? You take the resurrection away from us. What are we? Paul says to the Corinthians, we're to be pitied above all men. We're to be pitied above all men. I tell you what, I love Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ and I love his word and all those things are true. But I would tell you what, on the basis of one thing, on the basis of one thing, it's the power of his resurrection. He walked out of that tomb. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your seat? I, we got death all around us. We're all just a breath away from dying. We're just a car wreck, a cancer diagnosis. We're just all an accident. And if this is it, if this is it, this is all you've got, this is it, it's over quick, man. You live to be 90, it's going to be over quick. You live to be 100, it's over quick. 
But see, because of the power of the resurrection, it's not over. And we have the evidence. John says, let's a seed falls to the ground and dies. It cannot live again. And it's the same with you and I. And I'm going to tell you something. What, what fear or what power could hold sway over you if you really not only believe, but you rely on the power of the resurrection? What are you going to do to me? You going to kill me? That's all right. <laughs> but you already dread to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I live, I serve him. If I die, how much better I get to go be with him. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it's the power of the resurrection. We, did, I've done, we just do funerals all the time, don't we? There's nothing, not one thing, that you'll ever encounter in your life that is as powerful as the power of the resurrection. We ought to live our faith, our desire to be right, a wanting to be right on the basis of faith is on the power of resurrection. Number two, this is it. Hmm. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Sharing his suffering. I will tell you that I love my wife. I love her. I will tell you that I love my children. I will tell you that I love this church. But I'm going to tell you something. Not because I, you, us, she, we, not because we're lovable. When do you really, 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 really begin to love someone? Like really. I mean really. My father turned 85. Uh, I love my father. I love him more now than I've ever loved him. You know why? Not because he's a kind man and he's generous and he loves me. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. Because I understand now. I saw Tammy almost a dozen years ago. And I did hand on the Bible before God. And I, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this. I, I, I saw her from a distance. And I said to myself, that is the prettiest woman I have ever seen in my life. I can say that openly before God. I didn't know her. I was trying to see if she had a wedding band on, you know. And I couldn't tell. I said, so, you see, I could, you know. And then, and then, well, I'm just not going to say, I need to shut up. Be still, no love Lord. But I was just, just, who is that woman? I got to meet that woman. I got to know that woman. And if I tell you the story, you wouldn't believe it. It's the truth. But I made a pact with God. I said, God, I don't even know this woman. I don't know this woman. But I want to know this woman. And I want to gain this woman. And I want to be found in this woman. And I want to know this woman. And, and, and I did. And I just couldn't shake her. And it was just all in me. And, I just, and so, so I made a pact with God. I said, look, God, I'm going to go here. I know she comes to this place. And I'm going to go. And, and if she's not there, I pulled a Gideon. I said, if she's not there at 6 o'clock, I'm going to walk out and... Uh, and, and, and then that'll be it. And, and I promise you, I was walking to the door. They had a red light on his beer joint. And uh, at 6 o'clock, they had dance and free tacos. I went for the free tacos, all right? So anyway, uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, so it, 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 the, the red, it says 6 o'clock. It's not here. Okay, not my burden. I know this sounds maybe strange to you. But I'm walking in. and she, I'm walking out. She's walking in. 6 o'clock on the button. That was April 15th. 
she was later than usual because she's having to pay some taxes. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a great story. We got married on July 4th. I said, you marry me on July 4th, you promise you'll always have fireworks on the, I went. And I've been true to my word. So here's the deal. You think it's all been a bed of roses? I mean, you look at me, you would say, yes, obviously. <laughs> it hasn't. It's been, we've, we've suffered. We have suffered. And we've fought. And we've struggled. I love her more today than I've ever loved her. And you know why? Because we have had fellowship in suffering. We've had fellowship in suffering. We haven't always agreed, but I love her so much that I had to examine my life in light of Christ. There were things that, I, I, that were wrong with me that I didn't even realize were wrong. But because of the gift that God gave me through her, I realized, oh, well, you're just a moron. You're an idiot. She didn't even have to tell me. Sometimes she did. But the point is this. Now, she means more to me. And I'm just a foolish man. I struggle with representing that to her. But it's because, man, we've suffered. We've had suffered. And we've had fellowship in suffering. Now, we wouldn't talk to each other. And we might, but we still, we had, there was a sharing there. And that's what he's, the scripture's talking about. You can't truly live for the sake of Christ Wanting to gain him, being found in him, knowing him, you cannot do it until you live in his power. I mean, Summer just read that great passage out of 2 Corinthians 12. Jesus said to Paul, My power is perfected in your weakness. I pray that you struggle in your relationship with Christ so much. I just pray. I pray for this church. I pray that whatever's going on in your life, that the struggle is going to increase your fellowship in Christ. The relationship with Christ is not a Mickey Mouse relationship. It's a relationship where you get to that point and you just, I can't take this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to get this. Where are you, God? What is wrong? Where are you? It's Jeremiah saying, God, you've become like a deceptive stream to me. It, it cursed me the day I was born. It had been better had I not been born. He said that. He was sharing in fellowship. He was suffering in his struggles with the God of all creation. I pray that if that's not happening in your life, it needs to. Because you know what happens? Because through that fellowship of suffering, that sharing of suffering, you know what happens? A greater love. A greater love. You know how many times I've heard a husband and wife, oh, this is a weary thing in my soul. I've heard a husband and wife say, they come into account. By the time they come to the preacher for counseling, it's bad. It's bad. When people are struggling in their relationship, first thing they do is they attack each other. And then they start getting a posse together. Well, I know the people that are going to agree with me. My girlfriend's at work. They're going to yeah, he's sorry. Yeah, we even told you he was sorry. You know, mom and dad. Yeah, I told you never to marry that fellow. You know, I told you. But then that doesn't work. And so finally, there's something in you. If you're a Christian man or woman, you say, well, I can't just. 
And you go to a preacher. Well, I'm the last resort, not the first. I wish I was the first. But you know what happens? I've heard this so many times over the years. Arby, you don't know we were on the brink of divorce. Arby, you don't know I hated that. I, I, I hated that man or that woman. That's true. Couldn't stand them. But something was there. And we struggled and we suffered. And now I've seen the hand of God in all that. And I've learned a greater lesson about love. It's the same with God. Power of his resurrection. Sharing his sufferings. And here's the final one. And it's a domino. You can't do the last one without the first and second one. He said, so I want to what do I want to do? I want the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and being conformed to his death. You can't be conformed to his death, sharing his fellowship, and then understand the power of his resurrection. It doesn't work that way. You can't, they're not interchangeable. I come to the realization, Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I know I'm going to, I, 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 I need God and I come and I have a Bible study or I go to church or I listen to a sermon or I, I meet with a Christian and they tell me the gospel. At Romans 1 and 8, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God and the salvation for those that believe. Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. So we hear the story and the story is a resurrection story. And then as we so happily, there he is, he's right there in the garden. He's struggling. He's having fellowship with his father. Father, take this cup from me. However, not my will, but your will be done. Read Philippians chapter 2. He understood the power of his father. He had, he had fellowship in his suffering. And he knew that he would be the resurrection. What about you? You're in a struggle. Try, you trying to be right? I got to be right. No, I'm going to rely on his power, the power of the resurrection. I know that I can trust him because he's never failed me in all of our sufferings and struggles. I've, I've had fellowship with Christ in my struggles. And because of that, I'm being conformed to his death, even death on a cross. Do you want to know the sign of a mature, growing Christian? You can see a church, an individual, a marriage, a Christian family being conformed to the death of Christ. You can see it. We're all conforming to something. I see a lot of proud, I see a lot of old Christians. They come to church. And I'm not judging them. The Bible says we can tell by fruits. They're still living for the sake of themselves. They, they're Christians. They say they're Christian. But you can always tell a person that is basing their life on the power of the resurrection has shared in the fellowship of suffering with Christ because they're being conformed to the death of Christ. How much stubbornness is in you? How much pride is in you?
How much arrogance in you? How much, how easily offended are you? How much do you have to be right? How, can you prove you're right? Peter, before the power of the resurrection, before the sharing in the fellowship, not being conformed to his death, he would say, yeah, everybody else here is going to run out on you, but not me, not good old Peter. James and John, they were going to a Samaritan village on the way to Jerusalem, uh, and they were denied. He said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? They weren't conformed to the death. When church members attack one another, You, we've not been conformed to the death of Christ. We're still living in our power for our sake. And the only suffering I'm sharing in is mine. I've been mistreated. What if Jesus had done that? No, no, really. He could have called 10,000 angels. And he would have been right. When a person is growing spiritually, a person that wants to live for the sake of Christ, being found in him, gaining him, knowing him, it starts with, no matter what's going on, I'm, I, I live under the power of the resurrection. I'll share and suffer in the fellowship. Joseph walked out of an Egyptian prison after 13 years, and then he could say to his brothers years later, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. That's someone who is living Job would say, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll know that I'll see him. That's the power of the resurrection. That's somebody who's shared in the sufferings of God and with God. And that's somebody whose life is being conformed to death. That's my goal for me. It's my goal for you. It's my goal for this church. That we live for the sake of Christ according to the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the time this morning. Father, I pray that each of us would have a desire in our lives to live for the sake of your son, that we would want to gain him and know him and be found in him, and that we would, we would through you, Father, accomplish a life that is based upon the power of the resurrection, sharing in our struggles and our fellowship and your sufferings and suffering with you and through whatever's going on in our life. And that so then we can be conformed to your death, even death on a, on a cross, Father. We love you. We give you praise and honor. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.